Unedited with Cameron String is brought to you by Samaritan Ministries. Samaritan Ministries is a healthcare sharing ministry with over a quarter million Christians that care for one another's needs, from broken bones to cancer, pregnancies to organ transplants, and all without the use of insurance. Find out more how you can be a part of this ministry helping others with healthcare at SamaritanMinistries.org slash relevant. I'm Cameron Strang, and welcome to Season 2 of Unedited. I can't think of a better way to kick things off. My guest today is author, speaker, activist, and literal world changer, Christine Kane. Christine is someone who I can't figure out how she does it all. She impacts me every time I hear her speak. Her mix of biblical depth and run-through-the-wall energy make her one of the most sought-after speakers today. She's a powerhouse that preaches on the biggest stages in the world, from Hillsong Conference and Women of Faith to pretty much any major ministry event you can name. And not only does she preach globally every day on TBN and the Hillsong Channel, she's also authored more than 20 books. But that's not all. In 2008, she and her husband Nick founded A21, a nonprofit that fights to, quote, abolish slavery everywhere forever. With offices around the world, their aim is to raise awareness, work with traffic victims in shelters and transition homes, and strengthen the legal response to human trafficking. Then in 2015, she founded Propel Women, an organization that empowers women to lead and develop their sense of God given purpose with content and events and training and equipping. It's amazing. And if all that isn't enough, somehow she finds time to have an amazing family on top of it all. You know in the conversation you're about to hear, I ask her how in the world she keeps all the plates spinning. Christine Kane has a unique vantage point on what God's doing today. Coming from the Greek Orthodox Church in Sydney, then going to Hillsong, leading a national youth movement. She's now welcomed in almost every stream of Christianity, including those that haven't typically welcomed women in the pulpit. We talk about that and what she sees shifting in the global move of God today. Christine's also unique in that she puts her money where her mouth is. She doesn't say Christians should care about social justice. She goes out and starts an organization that literally saves lives every day. She doesn't say the church should do a better job equipping and raising up women in ministry. She just sets out and does it. And here's the crazy thing. There's more to come. In our conversation, she talks about some big new things she's sensing on the horizon. Christine Kane is one of my faith heroes. She's passionate, deep, genuine. She pulls no punches. She's humble. And I'm thankful we have a voice like hers to help lead the spiritual movement in this generation. The conversation you're about to hear took place in our podcast studio here at Relevant, just before she spoke at a large arena event that night here in Orlando. The next morning, she flew out to spend a week at Wheaton College, working on her Master's of Divinity degree. Like I said, she does it all. So without further ado, here's my conversation with Christine Kane, unedited. Well, thanks for doing this. This is so great that it worked out that 
you, you're jet setting all over the globe. You're just in Sydney. You're, you know, flying tomorrow. And, and like, I'm glad we're in the same place for an hour. I have been waiting for this. And I've been waiting to come to the Mecca empire of relevant. <laughs> and so when I walk through those hallowed doors today, I'm like, I've been waiting to come for years. That's I, awesome. I, uh, I'm blown away. We talked about this when we, were in, when we saw each other last year. I am blown away by all that you're doing. And, and I don't understand because all I do is relevant and I'm a dad yes. and I can barely keep it together. And you are leading global movements and you, A21 is literally changing the world and saving lives all over the world. Propel is a movement, mm-hmm. raising up women, equipping women to change the world. And you're speaking, it seems like every day on television <laughs> <Almost>. <laughs> and... And you seem well-adjusted and that you have a strong marriage and you're a good mother. Like, how do you do this? The, the million-dollar question, number one, grace. So that, that, And the older I get, um, because I'm a decade older than you, so I'm, I'm getting there, I realize how much of the grace of God's um, on my life. But also, so I'm in my lane. It, uh, you know, when, when you just explained to me this is what you do, um, I realize that is what I do, but all of it is an outflow of who I am. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, the, the justice and the rescuing um, the victims of human trafficking and helping to abolish slavery, it's so woven into the fabric of, of who I am that I feel like it's, it's an overflow. And then um, very early on, and I would say largely because of the world that I come from, um, I learned to build teams around me and to delegate. And what I've really focused on the last 30 years is more growing as a leader. And the reflection of that is that we've grown global movements. A21's in 15 countries. Propel has 4,000 chapters in 80 countries. We just crossed our 80th country. What? 100 chapters in Pakistan, which is just just mind-blowing. And um, my goal, hopefully, is in the next few years that we would have a chapter represented in every country in the world, um, helping to empower women and helping women to internalise their leadership uh, potential. And I think the uh, speaking daily on, you know, TBN or and Hillsong Channel, um, the ability to write sermons and preach. It's just so second nature. It just comes out. I mean, I live, eat and breathe it. I don't feel uh, stressed doing it. That's my sweet spot. Um, Nick and I, when we got married, we got married at 30. So we met at 28. And at the time I was the president of the Singles Till Rapture Club. So I never thought I was going to get married because, <laughs> uh, you know, at the time, and you got to go back because I'm 53 now. Um, at the time, there were very there, there was zero married women that I knew that were doing what I was doing, which was itinerant evangelism and mm. youth ministry. Um, so you thought to do that, you needed to almost be single. Yes, I'd already paid the price, and with the Lord had already had the conversation at about twenty two that I thought to do what He had called me to do, which I think even then I had this sense of was to reach the nations of the world and um, evangelism, which really is the driving force behind everything that I do and mission. I thought I will not be able to get married because there's no women that I know that that are doing this um, or anything like I'd seen. It was, and I thought, you know, there was lots of pastors' wives that I met, and I thought I need one of those. Yeah, like so, I thought, okay, that's not going to happen. But then, what the Lord messed that up because I met Nick, and um, I'd gone in to do a lecture at our Bible college at Hillsong, and Nick was a student. We're the same age, but he went to college after me, and. When I walked in, I'd just come from a government meeting and 
he says this, that he fell in love with a teacher. And back in those days at Hillsong College, uh, students were not allowed to date, but there was no rules for students and teachers. And so, <laughs> okay, that seems like a, like a missed... <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so um, he found out from my best friend that I swam at six o'clock every morning in our local pool. So I'd been doing that for a year, never saw him there ever. And then all of a sudden after this lecture that I did, every morning I would go to our local pool and there's a guy doing laps in the pool. And then this one day, he accidentally came into my lane and bumped into me. And I just I remember going, Nick, what are you doing here? And um, he's like, very male, you know, what do you mean? What am I doing here? I'm always here at six o'clock in the morning. I love swimming <laughs> at six o'clock in the morning. Now, Cameron, you know, we're uh, 23 years on in this deal and never once Never one morning in 23 years of married life has my husband ever got up at six o'clock to go, <laughs> to go um, swimming. But anyway, I say all that to go. That kind of says a lot about Nick. He sort of, he knew what he wanted. He actually wanted um, a wife like me. So he didn't set out to tame me or change me or minimize me, but saw very much uh, part of his mandate to actually help me to fulfill my God-given purpose. And so I've never known anything otherwise. So if people go, how do you do it all? The real Cog, obviously Jesus, but the cog in the midst of it all is Nick and I, it's very much a partnership. So we have um, over 200 full-time staff. Nick, all of the operations, all of the staff um, of our organisations globally is all Nick. And so Mm. that makes it, you know, essentially really what I do, I'm I'm his wife. I parent my daughter, you know, I'm a mother to my daughters um, and I write messages and speak and then if I have something in my spirit that I feel we need to do, um, I'll bring that to the table. And then Nick and an unbelievable team helps put legs on all of that. I, 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 we see the, obs- you know, what we observe in kind of the Christian leadership circles is like, you know, these mega churches and mega ministries and these, you know, the a lot of the people who are leading them, you know, they can do some of the things well, you know, they could, you know, maybe it's the content side of things or in the organization's a, a wreck or, or, or their family life or yeah. is, is a wreck or, you know, like other faults kind of creep in, you know, how do you keep centered? I mean, the team thing is an amazing, unique yes. dynamic you have, but that reality of if you're having to write sermons and pour out, pour out, pour out, pour out, how do you refill the tank in, for you, you know, when sure. you're doing that much volume of output yeah, absolutely. spiritually, you know? Well, you know, of course, um, Cameron, the relevant podcast fills me oh, up. <laughs> that was, but I do... Um, being really centered and planted in a, long, a local church, I've been in the same church for 31 years, and of course, our church is global. So, you know, when we moved to America, there was um, in Orange County, we have a a church there. Um, but because I think I've been part of the same family, the church family, spiritual family, um, I have a lot of input. And see, don't forget, like nothing. Um, has my name on it. Like there's A21, which is an organization, there's Propel, Equip and Empower Ministries. So I don't feel this pressure that I'm trying to build Christine Kane. Hmm. Um, these things are an outflow of who Christine Kane is, but they will all outlast me easily. So um, they don't even carry my name, which is fantastic. But I think the fact that I came into this very different and, and being in North America, I understand there's a difference because I was raised in a church that uh, largely empowers women, where women can preach and teach um, and have opportunity to express their gifts in a local church context. 
I was developed in that context. And so I saw the importance of local church and a strong Bible-based local church that allows you to fully flourish. And so I have to put that caveat on it because I know not all churches are like that. But because of that, I didn't really have big ambition outside of that. I really believed you could fulfill your purpose in in church. And I mean, there are so many global ministries that have come out of our church that I think would, would testify to the fact that our environment and our soil actually breeds health. Because that way, I never felt the pressure to try to build a ministry, but rather to truly be a Christ follower. And I'm part of a body and there's one body and many parts. So I never had this thinking, man, I've got to be great at everything. I know what the Lord's gifted me to do. And some of the things that I wasn't that great at, I've grown. I believe you grow to where you need to go and that you Mm. can increase your personal capacity. Um, And so, of course, I was committed to all of that. And I still am. So I'm in grad school at Wheaton now because I felt when I hit- You're in grad school now? Yeah. Right, like right now, I'm doing a master's in evangelism and leadership. Okay, so just add that to this massive list of what oh. I started this podcast with. That's crazy. I oh, really, I kind of forgot about that. But the, <laughs> I'm go, like, I'm going from here um, tonight. I, I, you know, I'm speaking at Lifeway, and then I, I fly from Orlando to Chicago to do my week intensive for um, grad school for summer. And so, what I wanted to start. So, at about fifty, I thought, you know, Chris, you're going to go one of two ways. I either, um, you know, I'm not going to go. Lefter or writer, I need to go deeper in mm. the Lord if I'm going to really continue to have a voice into the next generation. Mm. And so I realized theologically I needed some more depth. Evangelism and mission are, are part of what I've done. And then um, in the Billy Graham um, Center at Wheaton, Ed Stetzer is leading that. I said, I want to help create pipelines and pathways, which is what Propel's all about, for women to value a theological education and also then to be given opportunity to use those gifts. So what we started, of course, I never do anything alone. So we started Propel cohorts at Wheaton. And in my class, I'm the first one. Um, So my first year, 21 women signed up for this cohort with me in evangelism and leadership, so it's master's, uh, a master's program. And then since then, we've started two more cohorts, so we've got three. So to, when I go on Monday, um, there'll be 64 women that are doing this master's program, and then we're about to start the fourth, and by the time I finish in 2021, there'll be five. So I wanted to do, I wanted 100 women to come through the program with me and then set a precedent for women to um, to do that, because culturally, we are combating so many different issues every day that I think the better trained and equipped we are to speak into our culture, the more relevant we'll be to our culture. Um, And so I knew, you know, I came through, I was born in 66. I did youth ministry in the 90s, um, large scale youth ministry throughout Australia, um, have been speaking by the grace of God into the next generation through the 90s in early 2000s and now into this decade, if I want to continue to be relevant in the 2020s and God willing, I hope in the 2030s, um, I felt I really needed to do this now in my early 50s and then kind of I think I've got one other really big thing in me. I don't know what it is, but like an A21 or a Propel or something. So I think at about 55, I'm starting to feel a bit of a download for that. Um, I'll have the energy by God's grace, the strength um, to kind of give my all to another big global something. And I think this is part of the training for that. Let's talk about women in the church because you came up in a church environment and theological environment. Mm -hmm that gave you a platform, you're speaking tonight in a 
to a group of people that would have a different theological view yeah. about the role of women in ministry. Uh-huh. How do you straddle those worlds and how do you champion? Because I grew up like like you did. Yeah. I grew up in charismatic church and women and men are equal and God can, you're anointed, here you go. You're off and running. But as we've done with Relevant, I mean, we speak to the full spectrum of the body of Christ. And there are a lot of streams that oh, do yes. not agree with that. And especially in this day and age of gender equality, uh, the church seems to be wrestling with it. And even denominations that typically didn't wrestle with it or having to confront it and wrestle with it. How, how do you see where we are and how do we kind of lead a change where women, women's role in ministry, you know, sure. shifts? And part of Propel... Uh, why I started it was for that very reason, because um, I do go across the gamut from, yeah. you know, the evangelical world across to the charismatic world um, and whatever else might fall in between those gaps. And I could see God giving me favor in the midst of those worlds. So I felt a responsibility. Mm-hmm. And so like, not only am I speaking um, at the Lifeway conference tonight, um, you know, I've just had my very first Lifeway Bible study that's being launched tonight as well. That's why we're, we're here on, on evangelism um, and justice. And I'm just really, really excited about that. And so I think that it is definitely a new day and that the church is really considering how can we help women fulfill their gifts. Now, I I don't have kind of a personal agenda to change anybody's theology in that sense. I'm like, look, if you're at A with how you empower women, let's maybe get you to B. Um, If you're at C, let's go to D. If you're at X, let's go to Z. Like, let's... um, Within the context of what your theology allows... um, then in that context, let's help maximise how women are being fruitful in the midst of it. Because I think if it's to our Father's great glory that we bear much fruit, the goal is fruit, not rights necessarily. So I'm not, I'm, I want to help women be fruitful. Now, because of the day and age in which we live in, you can by and large choose where you want to go to church, especially in this country. Mm-hmm. And so in this country, the, um, there is a church on every corner, there is a denomination or an expression of God's church, you know, many of them in every city, town (laughs) and village just about. So if you feel extremely strongly about a position, like for me, I go to a church where a woman can teach on the weekend because I teach 50 Sundays a year. And so that's, I feel that's part of my call. So there is no point me um, going to a church that isn't going to empower a woman to do that if I believe that part of my core mission on the earth is to do that. But then I don't feel that it's my job um, to go to every single denomination on earth that doesn't empower women to do that and say, you should. I'm like, I think there's choice in all of that. So I think part of the earnestness is on us as women to go, if I really feel that God has called me to do this, then I need to have the courage and the faith to step into an environment where I can utilise my gifts in such a way. And um, I think where people kind of see someone like me, and I know it, it must confuse a lot of people, like how is Christine, she's just flown back from Hillsong Conference and she's doing Lifeway tonight and um I'm doing Joyce Meyer's conference next month. And I mean, so, you know, go through the gamut of all, and she's, and I'm going to Wheaton in between all of Mm -hmm. that. So that alone would be enough to give anybody whiplash. And yet I can tell you, I think with total confidence, I'm aspects of every single one of those. Like I couldn't box myself because I I would think um, either I, you know, I've got a lot of personalities on the inside here, or I feel 
100% comfortable in each one of those environments um, and am aware of the shortcomings, first and foremost, of myself and then um, each one of those places because every institution by its very nature because it's uh, human um, is flawed. And so I'm not looking for perfection in any one institution. I'm looking for that in Jesus and I found that and I'm blessed at this point in history to be in a place that would allow all of that to happen. I mean, that's just like, where else can you go? That in one week I've, you know, I'm doing Hillsong on Sunday, I'm launching a Lifeway Bible study tonight, I'm going to Wheaton uh, on Monday, and, you know, that the, there it is. And, I, and that is all okay. I think that is actually a sign that things are shifting and um, people are going, okay, She's still obviously conservative enough, I'm talking theologically, mm-hmm. and uh, orthodox enough uh, that um, she can, with integrity, be on each one of those platforms, and I can. Um, because I think when I first came to America, some people thought, man, she must be a little bit radical, revolutionary. She's running A21, that's a justice organisation, and she speaks on Sundays, which means there's mixed audiences. Um, and then it's like, but hang on a minute, like she's been in one church for 31 years. She's been married to one guy for 23 years. Her kids at this point at 17 and 13 love Jesus, love the church, are flourishing by God's grace in life. And she has adhered to what would be considered historical Orthodox Christianity, you know, what we would all believe would be Orthodox Christianity over the last 2,000 years. She pretty much is right there in the middle on it all. What box do you put her in? And I think this is the new box we're talking about. There is a third way. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not lefter, it's not righter, it's deeper. And I think there's a whole lot more of us deeper than people realise. Um, and I, I think we're finding that we are way more unified mm-hmm. on a lot of things than we thought we were. And some of the things that we thought were important differences actually are not. Um, we realise like, wow, maybe we all ought to be more concerned about social justice. And Chris is like an unapologetic evangelist, but she's still rescuing slaves. Okay, maybe we have thought we have separated evangelism and justice and we, what was two sides of the same coin, we made enemies. Maybe we need to rethink that. Wow, Chris um, teaches on a Sunday morning to mixed audiences and is passionate about women, but she uh, is married, holds a, you know, holds a historical Christian view of marriage and um, she's integrous to the scripture. Wow, maybe, maybe we need to look at how we're empowering women and what we maybe have uh, made things enemies that shouldn't have been enemies, that we just realised that we were scared that this would lead to a slippery slope to that, but it doesn't seem to have done that in Christine, Mm -hmm. so maybe we need to rethink things. And I think that's where we're at at the moment. I'm a big advocate of... uh third way thinking and finding common ground of what we can agree on versus what divides us and, and, and pointing to, you know, enact change by pointing to what, how things should be and could be versus mm-hmm. criticizing how things are. The thing that unsettles me about the gender disparity in leadership in the body of Christ, theologically, it reminds me like back in this civil rights, racial civil white rights era, there were like, theologies of racial bias, you know, oh, yeah. that like, like, you know, and they use scripture to defend, you know, inequality. Absolutely. And, I'm and, with you. and now, and now I'm like looking at it from a gender perspective and that's 
a lot of denominations are still doing that. And it's almost like back then we would never have condoned an all white or white supremacist uh, Christian worldview. And yet how can we navigate those same waters about women in leadership? You know, like I, I, I get what you're saying, like show that it's not a slippery slope, show that God's moving, show that God can use anybody he anoints. But at what point do we, as believers, have to call out something that's straight up against, you know, the heart of God? Absolutely. And I think, well, yes and yes and yes on many levels. But somebody also has to go forward to show a third way and to model a third way and to build a third way. So you're the sacrificial lamb. Well, yes, I think in that sense. But then you're not going to see me um, in other arenas, um, I think – You've got to, there's a couple of things. You can't fight on every front with the same energy um, all at the same time. That, right. That's not, and I think part of wisdom and how I've lasted so long and my longevity in ministry is choosing which battles to fight when um, and to know the timing of God of where I'm meant to jump in on what and speak to what issue and timing. I think part of uh, I mean, I love social media, but one part of the negative is that everyone thinks if I'm not speaking out about everything all the time, eventually no one will listen to you. And I think yeah. at this point why maybe um, people may stop and listen to things that I've got to say is because I'm not saying something about everything all the time. Right. And that's, of course that's intentional. It doesn't mean I don't think a lot of things about everything all the time. My husband and my staff <laughs> would tell you, yes, Christine is full of opinions. But um, <laughs> but wisdom, I think discretion and wisdom are what's lacking um, out there in the social media space more than anything else. There's mm-hmm. a lot to be said in the scripture f- about discretion and wisdom and understanding times and seasons and when it's wisdom to say something and when it's wise not to say anything. And so... Um, it would be obvious that I absolutely, unequivocally do not agree with hyper-fundamentalism that would say uh, that a woman is subordinated in in, uh, value to a man. There is no way that I would think she was she's the second sex, therefore she is. she was created second, therefore. I mean, I understand those theologies that she's created second, therefore she is secondary, how they would define what that word helper means. Um, of course, that's not me because look at what I'm doing. And right. I think, you know, there's uh, I could be shouting that over the airwaves every day or I could just be modelling it in the way that I am, that of course that's not going to, I don't believe that leads to life or flourishing, nor do I believe that's accurate reading of, of um, that the creation story in that sense of the male and female. Um, but in the midst of it all, in terms of institutional change, now I am in a place and I'm in a world, and I do believe that God gives you areas of authority and um, fields of authority in terms of wh- where I can practically be mm-hmm. creating change and making change. So me, from my denomination and my uh, charismatic background, yelling at somebody else over a fence is mm-hmm. really not going to necessarily bring change. It's obvious what I think, because look at the life that I'm living. Right. Now, I think the greatest thing that I can do, which is what I hope I'm doing, uh, with Propel is creating pathways and pipelines and off-ramps so that people can go, oh, I, I, I've awakened to the fact that I 
I want to live my life in a different way and I believe that God's created me to flourish in life um, equal but different to a male and then saying, well, here are 20 other options of how you could outwork that um, with your time here on earth. And so I think um, I think that's where we would be at. And if it, if it was something in my world under my realm of authority – I would speak up and say, mm-hmm. you know, this this structure or this system is unjust mm-hmm. and it's within my realm of influence to be able to bring change and I will do whatever I need to do to bring change to this situation. So it's not abdicating my role. But, you know, I, I think sometimes we think because we have a Twitter account that um, everybody's listening to our voice. So when we call on a nation to do something. I'm thinking, I don't think the head of that nation is actually reading my Twitter feed. I don't think the head of that particular denomination is actually following me. So I don't So I don't know who I'm really speaking to except for my echo chamber that already agrees with me mm-hmm. and they think I'm saying something that's going to change anything. But the one thing about me, Cameron, is I'm an activist to my bone. So mm-hmm. if it's not actually going to yield change, real change in the real world. So when we started going into countries for A21 where there was no laws that – made human trafficking illegal, we started there. Like there was no point me trying to rescue the victims of human trafficking if you couldn't prosecute a trafficker because there was no law to say that it was illegal. So 11 years ago, that's where we started Um, because that's the kind of, you know, there's one thing about thinking you're an activist because you're going to say something on social media. There's another thing because you're really going to roll up your sleeves and go, I'm committed to the next 50 years of my life to seeing change happen in this area. And I think with me, I'm always going to err on the side of what can I do with the resources I have, with the influence I have, um, and with the knowledge I have, and hopefully the wisdom I have, that's actually really going to move the needle for a real-life human being tomorrow, and I'll start down that road of change. The, the, the interesting tension of historically of justice and the church, I mean, I, me I, growing up, the only thing we did globally was give to missionaries, you know? And then it seemed like 15 years ago or so, 20 years ago, the church started to actually, you know, embrace social justice and justice issues and life and human dignity. But there's still a tension in the church, not for Christians to care about those causes, but for the role of the church in those issues that the Great Commission and justice you know, there are those who would say those are incompatible, you know, that like, if we aren't going out there and winning souls for Christ, what's the point? How do you straddle that tension? Because your, your life is literally like evangelism and ministry. And then over here, you're literally freeing, freeing lives and setting lives free, but without that bait and switch or that agenda, Mm -hmm. you know, so how do you straddle that? Yeah. It's incomprehensible to me that those things could have been separated, like just incomprehensible. (laughs) Number one, so I had to, you know, I had to go to Wheaton so I could discover where that division came in. Part of this, really? part of the reason I went there was I wanted to understand the church in America. And um, so I said, I've got to come and look at some history because because that wasn't the case. It in just Australia. was not even a case. It's a bit like the woman thing for me. Yeah. It's like, oh, I landed here ten right. years ago and went. Oh my gosh, this is a deal. Like, okay, so so someone educate me on how this became a deal. And then that's where I feel with justice, the same thing. And evangelism. So we would all know. I mean, listen to a Chris Kane sermon. I'm a ranting of I'm old school, man. I'm gonna do evangelism. It's all gonna be in there. Heaven, hell, um, altar call. I mean, it's as old school Pentecostal as it gets. And with as much zeal and passion, um, I will help 
anyone that's that I can, you know, that's in poverty. We helped. We were right at the forefront of the Syrian refugee crisis years ago with A21. I mean, we got the Mother Teresa um, Social Justice Award in so, India. So when you're working with refugees, are you helping them with their physical needs and then you want to lead them to Jesus or are you just helping Not them without helping, agenda? When that crisis on the border... Man, we couldn't give out water and food and clothes quick enough. There was not time to do anything yeah, else no in that moment. You know, there was no track attached to that. That was seeing the dignity. What, what would I do if, you know, there was a car accident out the front here and the little boy was lying across the street? I would run to try to pick up that. I'm not going to give him a track and try to give him four spiritual laws. I'm going to get him into the ER as quick as I can. So uh, they're two different things to me, like in that, in that point. Like, are, are we kidding ourselves? Are, every time you go through the supermarket and you buy your groceries, do you give a track to the woman that's, or the man that's scanning your goods and charging you? Of course not. It's nonsensical to me that we, in our normal everyday lives, we um, interact with people and have transactions and yet we think somehow, if I go overseas to uh, somewhere where there's dire need, um, I can get my own bottles of water scanned through, uh, you know, Kroger without witnessing to the woman at the desk, but but I can't give someone that's dying a bottle of water without what you would call giving them for spirit. I'm like, if we want to start to deconstruct this, we, we could de- we, we could um, apply this to every Christian in the Western world and go, there. how nonsensical. Like, look at how you act at work. Look at how you interact um, when you're putting gas in your car, when you're going to a supermarket, when you go... All of us um, do not give a four spiritual laws tract or explanation to every single human being we ever meet. And yet it is bizarre to me that we would question giving someone a cup of water in the name of Jesus or digging a well or rescuing from rescuing them from slavery or helping to uh, make right unjust systems or helping, um, you know, refugees or immigrants. I mean, it, it is – I don't even have a place for it. I would think we would have more compassion than anyone because we've got the love of Jesus. And, you know, I'm a Pentecostal, so I believe in miracles and signs and wonders, but pretty much almost bar none, every miracle that Jesus did in the Gospels was uh, proceeded with and Jesus had compassion on him and so he healed him or he had compassion on her and so he uh, healed her. So even a supernatural sign, wonder, creative miracle was preceded by compassion, let alone uh, giving people food or water or making right unjust systems. The fact that we are still trying to say to a Christian whose heart has theoretically been born again by the Spirit of God that we ought to care about the poor, the marginalised, the immigrant, the refugee, the the those that are captured in slavery is so... I, I don't know how many more books we need to write. How many more sermons do we need to preach on Isaiah? How many more sermons on Jesus' first sermon, Luke 4.18? How many more sermons on the Good Samaritan? I mean, really, we, we, we've got it all. It's just a matter of doing it. And so to me... It's not either or. So in my normal interactions with people that I've built a relationship with, um, I speak about Jesus in in however that comes up organically. And then, um, of course, I certainly believe in big events where you can present the gospel where someone has invited a friend and they know you're coming to church with me and um, hopefully they've built enough relationship to go, this is what's going to happen. So in that context, um, yes, I will give an old school gospel presentation and invite people to respond. And do I believe that you can pray with people and pray what we would call a sinner's prayer and if they believe in their heart and confess with their mouth that Jesus is Lord, they will be saved? Yeah, I still believe all of that. Um, And do I 
see any disparity between an ongoing work of justice, which is working in 15 different nations to abolish slavery, um, and that being a valid thing in and of itself? Mm -hmm. Yes, absolutely. And do I still travel to the nations of the earth and evangelize? 100%. And do I see them as two sides of the same coin? Absolutely. Today's episode of Unedited is brought to you by Samaritan Ministries, a healthcare sharing ministry with over a quarter of a million Christians that care for one another's needs from broken bones to cancer, pregnancies to organ transplants. Let's be honest, talking about even thinking about health insurance isn't something anyone likes to do. It can be confusing, lots of jargon, plus Do you ever really feel like you know it's actually going to get taken care of when something goes wrong? That's why I feel Samaritan Ministries is a healthcare sharing option people should consider. First of all, it's not insurance. It's Christians sending financial gifts to others when there's a medical need, plus caring for one another spiritually through prayer and encouragement. Also, I love that being part of a ministry like this really frees a person up to focus on what they're most interested in, just living their best life. Christians are able to do that with Samaritan Ministries because they know that when an illness or injury happens, Samaritan members have their backs. If you would like to learn more about how you can be a part of this ministry helping each other with health care, visit SamaritanMinistries.org slash relevant. In America, the the church historically, like the more liturgical denominations, had charity as an extension and outreach because of their faith. Yes. And the charismatic church didn't. The charismatic church was more emphasis, uh, more uh, more emphasized, you know, encountering God and being in His presence and and worship and things like that. And and social justice wasn't an extension of the faith life, faith experience. And it's just interesting to me, like now even, I, I, I had a conversation with leader of a very large organization last week where we were talking about one of our friends who has an organization that does clean water. Mm-hmm. And he's a Christian who runs it and he does clean water, but there's no Christian agenda to what they do. They just provide clean water. And this person I was speaking to that runs this big ministry has real umbrage with that. Like that's an issue to him that like, that's a cop out. If you're a believer, then you should be doing clean water and. Yeah. And again, I say, we don't mind handing over our money at the local supermarket to buy goods with no end other than I'm going to consume them. Right. But isn't it interesting that if we apply label mission to inspire you to give, you think, well, if I'm giving, let's just take a sum, 10 bucks, um, it ought to go to preaching the gospel. And yet ask yourself the serious question, when was the last time you ever spoke to someone about Jesus for the first time? And when was the last time whenever you consumed something for your own consumption, you made sure that you were giving someone, you know, their little two ways to live exercise? Um, It's it's so hypocritical. I don't actually even know where to begin uh, (laughs) to deconstruct that. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. And again, what would be awesome is if in the heart of the church, now I will put a caveat to this too, because I would not suggest for any believer, no matter what work we did, whether you were working on Wall Street or running a 
global anti-trafficking campaign or um, giving clean water to people. Um, as a Christ follower, so hopefully there's integrity in your work and in the way that you do your service provision and helping people on the other side, I would hope a Christ follower that was involved in the finance markets would have equal integrity as I hope to have as we run A21. Um, but then every Christian ought to have a passion for evangelism and the gospel as well. And so not saying, I've set up this ministry, because that's often a great excuse for a Christian to not have to do evangelism, because they're like, look, I gave my 30 bucks a month to that place. That's right. their job. And that, you know that's not going to hold when we stand before the Lord, because mm. at the end of the day, and then we think, I'm going to judge them, because they didn't you know, slip in a little track on the way to helping someone just survive another day. But I've been watching Netflix binges for the last few weeks in my life and having 68 Starbucks and see, you know, forget the, me assessing my own Christian life. Um, I ju I'm just going to judge what they are doing or not doing. But the emphasis is that I'm not taking personal accountability for my own life. Now, I think in reaction, some of the social justice organisations then have gone, well, let's forget evangelism. Mm -hmm. Now, unless you're set up for that, uh, H21 is set up to rescue slaves. Christine Kane traveling and preaching at the invitation of churches is going as an evangelist to have um, outreach events. That's a very different thing. So, um, but I'm not, because I do one doesn't mean I'm not going to do the other in that sense. And um, I don't confuse what the two are in the midst of all of that, nor am I shy about evangelism. My greater concern, Cameron, for the next 10 years is not about social justice. I believe we've raised up, uh, we've done our job. Mm -hmm. You know, when I started talking about this stuff in 2008, um, it wasn't talked about like it is today. Here we are in 2019 recording this. And there is, I have very little problem stirring people to do good works. I Absolutely. mean, there is a, right. uh, what I do have a lot of pushback for is evangelism and the gospel. That is, um, that is, that is probably where I will be putting more of my energy to go. One does not cancel out the other. Just and it, it's a tendency of the church, isn't it? We wake up in one area and then go to sleep in the other. That right. pendulum just swings. I mean, why people have a problem with just staying in the middle, I'll never know. But it's kind of like, okay, we have neglected social justice all these years, and you know we've had an agenda attached with everything and every cent that we've given. So now we're going to swing the other way. So let's never talk about Jesus, and we don't want to offend anyone. Well, here's the flip side. The gospel is highly inclusive. Whosoever will, Jesus says, and it's highly exclusive. Jesus said, I am the way, mm -hmm. the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. You know, uh, I'll speak a lot about this tonight. It's not really cool. There was a time it was cool to be a Christian, and even if you're a social justice Christian, that's really cool too now because that's stuff you can really talk about and people are right, right behind you. But to be a Christian Christian that really believes in the authority of the Bible, that believes in the exclusivity of Jesus Christ, uh, let me just say that's not necessarily so cool. So we're coming more into that time of, you know, the cross is foolishness to those that are perishing. And so I feel like part of my responsibility is to go, okay, a generation, how do we now hold firm and steadfast to some of the more exclusive claims of Christ in a very, very uh, tolerant, inclusive, pluralistic world now, coming from Australia, that's okay because we've been, we, we never had a Christian subculture like you guys had over here. So, what seems like, oh my goodness, in America, like, wow, what's happened? Uh, we're just going, oh man, I'm almost glad it happened because only those things that can be shaken will be shaken uh, so that those things that cannot be shaken will remain. And that kind of Christian subculture, little 
whatever bubble that existed, that's the thing that's been shaken, not Christianity at itself, not um, not true radical. So for someone like me that's still a revivalist at heart, I'm talking now with a smile on my face because, like, we were born for these days. I think our greatest revival days, this third way, is what is ahead of us because um, it's the power of God, the fire of God, the truth of God that can bring transformation with the compassion and the mercy and the justice and the love and the grace of God. Gone is the either or, it's the both and. I'm excited. Do you feel like the lack of biblical literacy and actually understanding what the Bible says is the biggest challenge facing this generation in the church? I mean, You know, I don't know if it's, Cameron, that I would jump on that wholeheartedly, yes, there's a degree of that. I would say it's more the lack of wanting to be obedient to what the Bible says. Really? Yeah, I don't think it's a lack of knowing what it says. It's like everything. See, I don't, I don't know. Like, I, I was, I hosted, I've hosted small groups for my church in my house, and and they were largely young twenties, right? And I'm telling you, it was like I want to pull my hair out because they would sit there and like encourage each other, challenge each other, like with this pseudo. Christianity that is completely not scriptural and but it feels good to say this and I believe this and what you should do is this and it's just like no that is actually not at all what scripture says and it's like honestly good intentions good heart they love Jesus but they don't know what they believe or why they believe it and and I and from our vantage point with relevant most of our readers are 18 to 30s you know so there's this wide range of kind of spiritual maturity that happens. And it seems like the older you get, the more you crave depth. Yes. But the younger end of our spectrum craves experience, spiritual experience. And that is scary because like that zeal without wisdom is like, Dangerous, right? Totally, and because and it's zeal for what? That's what it comes down to. Is like, um, is it zeal really to either have my own way or what I'm thinking right now? Whatever cool thing is happening. So yes, maybe we with that generation, or we haven't learned to read the Bible well. Mm. Is maybe it's not. Perhaps it's not a. It's not. I don't a lack think of, reading the Bible. Yeah, that would be it. It's not a lack of access to scripture. Right. It's a, a lack of willingness to really read it and then obey it because it's quite challenging. Right. Um, Personally, it's almost like ignorance is bliss. You know, it's like I don't. I'm not reading it. I don't even know what it says. So my version of Christianity is: I put on this great worship album, and God loves me, and God loves everyone. And you know, oh, I agree with that 100. Yes, that that okay. For in terms of that clarity, literally, yes. <laughs> and then um, I love. I, I remember it was just fantastic. One of our uh, worship leaders, you know, my world was writing a song. We laugh about this so much, and then the songs get, of course, uh, checked by. Um, some of the theologians in our Bible college. And I was just sitting there once and one of the theologians was, you know, said to one of our songwriters, you know, I know that lyric is beautiful, sounds wonderful, it feels really warm and fuzzy, but but it's actually heretical. Yeah. And so like I remember and I just like busted out laughing. I just remember that moment and going and and just the look of shock on this young, very young songwriter's face. And it was like like so we got checks and balances. That's not the issue. But I thought uh, no matter how much you want it to be true, honey, it really isn't. It doesn't really matter. Right. And I think that's the world uh, that we're we're coming in. But again, that still comes down to if I read it, then I become accountable somewhat to have to do it, and I don't know if I really want to do it. So uh, th- I think that doesn't make this generation any different to any other generation before it. I think those of us that are teachers, those mm. of us that have influence, um, the responsibility is on us to be able to uh, communicate the word in a way that 
the next generation is going to want to really um, absorb it and do it. And I think we've had just such a a challenge in the last few years of um, a confidence of really preaching the word and teaching the word uh, and that we haven't wanted to touch certain things, We we that, that a generation almost that's even been raised in church can think they can have a Christianity of just kind of choice. I, I don't like this bit, I like this bit, right. or I don't really want to get into this bit or that bit. So what I have found is I've gotten, and some would say more hardcore, I don't know, I, I feel like I've gone back to my Youth Alive revival days in Australia hmm. where it's just like this is what it says, I'm going to um, read it to you like it is and explain it like it is. And I'm seeing a hunger for that. Now, I don't know it's, yeah. if it's because maybe prophetically I kind of tend to be in those spaces where I can see the shift happening. Um, well, but I think it's because the last 10, 20 years, there's post-denominationalism where it's like, I might have grown up Presbyterian or Baptist or non-denominational or whatever, but now that I'm on my own, I'm going to just pick the church that feels good to me. I like, oh, well, I'll, I'll listen to this podcast or I'll follow this preacher on Instagram and listen to their clips. And and it's just like this, like I'm pulling kind of the, the stuff I like from everything. Thing. And there isn't that context of like what you're saying of like challenging to say, no, actually, we got to go deeper. This is actually what. Well, sanctification. What we do is we want to feel good. We don't want to be sanctified because sanctification does not feel good. And so, how you get sanctified through and through, obviously, is the word and being in long term. Like I truly believe this. You go, Chris, how are you still, by God's grace, flourishing? Well, Psalm 92 says, those that, or Psalm. 84, those that are planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish. It's one of those two sums. Um, even in their old age, they'll be bearing fruit. So, you know, I started 30 years ago, 31 years ago in my church. And so I'm starting, the old age thing is is beginning to come upon me and and I'm still flourishing and still bearing fruit. I think there's got a lot to be said about the fact that, um, you know, for me to go off course I would be checked really quickly because I've got people that have been in my life for 30 years um, that could begin to see, hang on a minute, um, this doesn't line up or Chris, you know, we're noticing something. So I've chosen accountability. Um, I think being, you know, under regular teaching, when you just choose whatever podcast you want to choose, you're going to choose whatever makes you feel good, whatever speaker makes you feel good, whatever lesson makes you feel good. When you're planted in a church, I'm going to get some Sundays that I'm going to get a message I don't want to hear. It's like my kids, there's times I'm going to put broccoli on your plate. You are not having ice cream every day just because you like the taste of ice cream. Will you tell my son that, please? Yeah, yeah, I'll go tell him. But, you know, and I think what we've done in this era of almost post-denominationalism is that I'll just go to whatever worship conference I want. I'll just download whatever thing I want, whatever I think I need. We don't always know what we need the best. And I think kind of in reaction to some misuses of power and abuses of power, you know, people have been a, a bit gun shy of going, I, I want to be accountable or words like accountability, words like submission, words like being planted haven't been uh, celebrated in the last five or six years, I don't think, in a in a huge way. That Now, I understand the misuse and abuse of some of those things, but the flip side of that is without that, I haven't seen in my 30 years a whole lot of sanctification uh, take place because if I'm just doing what I, my flesh is like everybody else's flesh, it's going right. to do whatever it wants to do. My flesh wants to feel good. Um, it doesn't want to be beaten into submission. But if the goal of Christianity is sanctification to become Christ-like, um, then you've got to be in environments and under teaching and in the word where you're going to be sanctified. And so that is what I think is 
are missing more than anything, not intention. I want to do something great for the Lord. Right. But I don't want to become who I need to become right. so that something great for the Lord will happen, which is a work of sustain. Of, and I think we our measures of success, I think yesterday I tweeted something like, you know, the, the world measures success with, um, you know, how many followers do I have or how big is something or how famous is something. Um, and I think, wow, you know, that none of that stuff is uh, biblical success, which is faithfulness, fruitfulness and finishing, you know, and I think if we are... Um, are we looking to be fruitful? Are we looking to be faithful? Are we looking to not only run our race but finish our course? I think in the era that we live, we think if it's if it's well known, well attended, and paid for itself, it must be God. If it makes a profit, it's got to be God. And I'm like, wow, that can be a measure of the Lord's in it, but it's not the measure. And I think um, what I love is that I got saved before there was an internet. And I got, yeah, that's how old I am, you know, so I got saved before there was an internet. I got saved and called and placed in ministry before there was social media. So I can really tell the difference between what's the Holy Ghost, because I had to have all that, and Mm -hmm. what is just effective marketing or, you know, branding or part of a system. And I think the only way we're going to run our race and finish our course is if we are committed to being sanctified by the Holy Spirit, if we are committed to building the church and not building our brand, if we're committed to building the kingdom and advancing the kingdom of God. And I wonder whether sometimes we can tell the difference between the kingdom of God and just what's our own thing, you know, or just what's a good thing. Um, And I think some of us that kind of have a little bit of longevity can see the difference between what's a fad and what is going to last. Like when I started A21, I was on platforms in this country with a whole bunch of people that were starting a whole lot of social justice works. Well, you know, here we are 11 years later. I I, I can think very specifically of certain things. In one place, there was uh, five of us that were, you know, it was awesome. We were launching these great new initiatives. Well, the other four don't even exist anymore. Hmm. And Three of those four people are not even in any kind of ministry or, to my knowledge, church. So all I'm saying is there's not just starting out of the gate and great intentions, downloading who I want, listening to what I want. That That is not necessarily growing you or having the finance to do what you want to do. To actually last, because this is a spiritual battle, to do what I do, um, the big issue isn't how big can A21 get or how big can Propel get or how many sermons can you write. It's how rooted am I in Christ that I know how to wage war in the heavenly realm because this is a a spiritual battle and the fights I have to fight. Um, You know, Joyce Meyer always says, new levels, new devils. That's, I mean, it sounds just cheesy, but it's true. Let me just say it is really, really true. The more influence I have, the more ground I take, uh, the harder the hits come, the more public the hits come, the more devastating they can um, be to me. You've got to have a lot of spiritual clout to make it. It's not just about, I want to do a good work here, or I want to do a great work of social justice, or I want to stand up for human rights. It's like, man, you've got to have the depth, and that comes through sanctification, to know how to fight the battle to last the distance. That That's a challenging word, because like the most of the audience we reach, I would say they love the Lord, they you know want to change the world and all that. Half maybe are going to a church regularly, mm-hmm. you know, and the other half like love Jesus and they're kind of doing an a la carte menu yeah. of resources or whatever. But that thing, the other challenge too for the American church is like so many churches that are attractional 
are feeding everybody milk. And so like you go and you want to get planted, you want to grow there. And it's just kind of like, they're not challenging. They're not going into the word. They're, they're, they're preaching a gospel that's very palatable. And it's like, so there's this duality of like, you almost like sometimes outgrow those churches, but then where do you go? You feel listless. You're out there trying to make, make your own version of faith. And, and there's just like this generation drifting. Sure. And, and there is validity in what you're saying. I'm not, um, of course I go to one of those attractional churches and have for uh, decades. And again, like everything, um, it all comes back to you, the individual, and wanting to be planted, discipled, sanctified. Because here is the deal. If you know the purpose of what the attractional service is for, say, on a weekend experience, then you could become a contributor to that. You're not going to be a consumer of that necessarily. Mm. So there is a value. I'm, I'm one of the speakers that speak at those kind of events and attractional events. And I would say there's nothing shallow about my life in that sense, or my right. theology for that matter. Right. So again, it can be an easy deflection and an easy excuse. Well, man, I want something deeper. You can supplement. And so that's how I see uh, the benefit of even um, someone you know, if someone that would regularly listen listen to my teaching, I'm like, ma'am, don't make me your main course. Your pastor is your main course. I would be a supplement to that because I would hope that you're pouring out in your local church. I don't find you have time to be really uh, kind of frustrated if you are so busy serving in your church that there's – and one of the benefits of the mega-attractional church is normally there are resources where there is somewhere you can be um, giving. I find the people that perhaps sometimes – um, are the most vocal in their complaint about this are actually doing nothing. It's doing like, nothing, you, okay, right. so you want an exegetical sermon on the Levitical priesthood every Sunday, <laughs> and then you want to then exegete me on why I'm not giving this dollar to this or doing this with this. or do. When was the last time you actually did anything for anyone apart from sit in a circle, holding hands, singing Kumbaya at Starbucks and psychoanalyzing the, 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 you know, how the church is not doing anything right. um, as you order another latte? So how about... It starts with you serving in that context. There are many areas of mission a lot of these attractional mega churches are involved in um, that have that are not platformed, that are not shown, that are not highlighted. But I find the ones that uh, most vocally talk about people like us that are in the spotlight, uh, that maybe have a lot of followers that do whatever, uh, are the ones that are unwilling to do anything that's not in the spotlight because they wish they would be in the spotlight. So I'm kind of like, you cannot even go down that level. You could, everybody's got their issue. I think at the end of the day, if you want to serve, I found in my own church, yes, there is a strong attractional element in a 75-minute service on a Sunday. And a lot of people, including myself, have come to faith in that kind of context. Mm -hmm. So if you know what is, why, if that was the thing that was used to bring you to the Lord, are you now going to turn around and go, I want you to change all of that because now that's not meeting my need. Who died and made me God? My thing is like, I see the value of that experience. And there are 50 other areas in church life that I could then be involved. Uh, if I feel like I've got a teaching gift or I want to go and help the homeless, or I want to go and um, help in the prison ministry, there's 50 other ministries that a large church has that will make I will have no platform time. The light won't be on me. And rather than analyzing the entire validity of a church on maybe a 75-minute segment in a 160-hour, eight-hour week that I may or may not like, how about I look at the fullness and find where I can contribute? And then when I find myself pouring out selflessly during the week, it is amazing how much more that 75-minute experience fills me in a way that it doesn't when I'm already full. But if I'm empty and I've poured out, 
sitting in that worship experience, even hearing a word of inspiration and encouragement rather than deep exegesis in that context might really fill me. And if I feel led for more exegesis and I want deeper, then maybe I'll enroll in Wheaton like I have Hmm. and get that rather than expecting my entire church to change how it preaches in that Sunday morning to feed where I have grown 30 years on from when I first got saved there. But as I keep pouring in and going with my gifts and talent, how I serve my church now, it's very different to how I served it 30 years ago when I walked in raw and, man, they gave me a chance to, you know, uh, be part of the cleanup team. That was about <laughs> my spiritual temperature at the time. Um, you know, I could do that without cussing maybe for that hour. So that was mm-hmm. awesome that they gave me the opportunity. <laughs> a lot of churches wouldn't have even given me the opportunity to do that. Mm-hmm. So that was fantastic. Well, today I serve it at a whole different level and find that um, the more I've poured out, I just came back from a week at conference. I went, man, that just filled me. Mm-hmm. It's amazing. And I'll go to Wheaton next week and get something that I never got last week at the conference. But that's what I'm looking for. So I think... The, the general, so if you're hearing kind of a bit of pushback from me, it's, it's that general sort of, man, those mega churches are just so shallow and that attractional model is mm-hmm. just, a, and I find, I'll, I'm not saying in every case, because there is a degree of truth absolutely to that, um, but in a lot of cases where I've sat across tables and had very intimate and candid conversations like that with a lot of people, um, in many, many of those cases, those people were doing nothing to contribute mm-hmm. and they just wanted to consume. And I'm thinking, wow, that, that's but so interesting. They, but if they have to you know, not just be consumers, if they actually get involved, then there's accountability, then there's things. And then, then I can't do what I feel like. And I think that's the pushback is like, I, nobody wants to be told what to do. Nobody wants accountability. They want to like, just be consumers. And I can kind of like pick and choose and tell you what I think. What do you think is the biggest challenge facing the body of Christ? You have a unique Mm-hmm. vantage point, seeing the global church in a way that so many of us in America don't. I mean, you see what the, what God's doing in so many continents. What do you see as the biggest challenge facing the church and also the biggest opportunity and positive thing you're seeing happen? Yeah, I, I think without a doubt, you know, um, I mean, so much has happened in the last three years in particular um, here in, in America. And I am so grateful that we're finally having long overdue discussions about things like abuse, yeah. things like uh, a women, uh, a woman's role um, in the church, long overdue, the role of justice and yeah. the church. Um, and, you know, with all the pain that that's brought, there's no doubt about it, um, with all the pain, I'm grateful to God that those things are now on the table and they're not going anywhere. Like they're not going to, they're not going to be off the table, even if some people are choosing to bury their heads in the sand, by and large, there's no turning back. And I'm so grateful to God. And you find throughout church history, um, whenever God does a sweeping like he has, there's been a a deep shaking and we needed it. There's no doubt about it. We needed it. Um, Then there's always a reaction. I think we've had a bit of that. Then there's the corresponding pendulum just goes uh, in reaction to so many things kept in the dark, so many things that were just you know, wrong, the the misogynism, the abuse, the misogyny, I'm sorry, the misogyny, the abuse, um, the racism, you yeah. know, just all of that stuff. It needed to be exposed it's for exactly like, yeah. what it was, what it is. It's just demonic, it's evil, uh, it's wrong. And so I'm grateful to God, as painful as it has been, that the, these things have come to the, heart, uh, to the fore and a generation Rightly so, we're saying we're not standing for this. Yeah. Like, we're just not. I, we're not, I, yeah. I don't want to be associated with that, let alone, you know, right. the next generation. So um, that is awesome. The challenge with that is then a reaction 
to th- uh, which causes us to throw the baby out with the bathwater and go, uh, since all those things were hidden, let's throw everything out because it must have all been bad. If right. these things were allowed to exist in that system, that means everything to do with the system is wrong. So let's get rid of institutionalised Christianity. Let's get rid of any form of structure, of church, of accountability. And the only one that wins in that is the enemy. It's like, Mm -hmm. awesome. I had all that covered there. Now I'm going to throw it all out here. And where that will leave us is is equally broken, equally disoriented, human nature left to itself, you know, with the Bible, there are so many biblical precedents of everyone doing whatever is right in their own eyes. And, you know, you and me deciding what's right outside of the Bible isn't going to help anybody. So I think uh, our challenge now will be, and especially, I guess, you know, half the listeners of this podcast of going, am I going to dare take the step of faith that it's going to require, be required to get planted in church and be part of the solution, not part of the problem. Mm -hmm. Acknowledging openly, yes, historically, uh, there has been a lot of error done even with evangelism and mission and colonization and things done in the name of God that every single one of us cringe and and just, you know, wish was not part of our history, but it is. But does that mean we no longer do evangelism, mission, um, or church planting? Well, no, but it's going, what can we learn from that? Assume a posture of humility and what is the way forward? Because the truth of the gospel is still the truth of the gospel. And Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against the church of the living God. Our, our, our job is to continue to advance the kingdom. I mean, he came and said, go into all the world and make disciples of all na- nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now, that is Jesus's last commandment to his church. Mm-hmm. And until this would be, if you're saying, what is the one thing, Chris, you think for the church of the future until we make Jesus's last commandment our first priority, we're not really going to move forward because I think that's what it all comes down to. I th- the truth is we have a generation that doesn't necessarily want to do that because of the misuses and abuses of that in the past, and they don't want to be associated with what they would think is a white colonization, racist, misogynistic um you know, kind of thing called the Christian church. And we're saying that's not what she ever was. Uh, Throughout the 2,000 years of church history, there have been many seasons of great injustice and pain and, um, and, People did things in the name of God, like had slaves, where you go, I, just, I can't even understand how you read your Bible and had that. Um, oppressed women, I don't know how you read your Bible and do that. Um, oppressed the poor, the marginalised, the immigrant. I, I, I don't know what Bible you're reading. But the fact that hopefully God has brought those things to the fore and we have a generation that goes, okay, faith without works is dead. It's not faith or works, it's faith and works. Um, evangelism and justice, men and women, mm. um, black and white, you know, like the, go through the whole thing. It's all of us together. It's not either or. Um, I think if we have the courage to go, we are going to be that new wineskin, we're probably going to get a whole lot wrong in the midst of all of that. And that's when I said to you really early on in the podcast, you know, I can get involved in a whole lot of debates publicly or I can just try to forge this way forward deeply painful to do it this either is deeply painful either comes with a lot of kickback but um if some of us do not begin to somehow in our flawed humanity build a third way forward um and help create this new wine skin we're going to have a, a lot of uh disoriented disenfranchised 
spiritual orphans out there that will die in the wilderness, just like happened with the children of Israel. A whole generation came out of Egypt, bondage and slavery. The purpose was to go into the promised land. But 40 years later, they died in the wilderness. I think prophetically, that's where we are right now, that Mm. a generation, if we do not, if we don't have a few Joshua and Caleb's, spiritually speaking, that are strong and very courageous, that go, okay, we're going to go in, we're going to cross this Jordan, spiritually speaking, and we're going to take the promised land um, that God has given us and establish his kingdom here on earth Mm -hmm. as it is in heaven. And we're going to create the new wine skin and we're not looking for old wine to come into the new wine skin and we're not looking for new wine to go into an old wine skin. So we're going to do the hard work of dying to self, crucifying our flesh, good old-fashioned Christianity, creating a new wine skin that is not either or but is both and. Mm. Um, I'm going to do that hard work and we're going to move forward and we're going to be in this world but not of it. We're going to be consecrated. We're going to be fully immersed in this culture but not of the culture, fully immersed in this world but not of it, because at the moment we're in it and of it. You can't change a world that you're both in, that you're the same substance as. Mm -hmm. So until we go, I am willing to be sanctified so that the fruit of the Spirit is produced in my life, Um, I don't think we're going to see the gifts of the Spirit in the way that we need to see them to have this great revival that I believe we're going to have Mm -hmm. until we're willing to be put in the fiery furnace and have the fruit of the Spirit developed in us. Because I don't think this next wave, uh, you know, we've had such an excess use of the gifts with no fruit, Mm. and we've had a whole lot of fruit with no gifts. Mm. You need both. You need, there's nine gifts, nine fruit, and I think the new way forward, and that's why, you know, people like you and I that have come through, I mean, I had a Greek Orthodox background, then came into a charismatic background, and now I'm, you know, very woven into the evangelical world and I'm like, wow. (laughs) Um, But the only thing I can see with all of that is that it's both spirit and truth. Mm. It's fruit and gifts. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the new way forward. And revival's coming. Amen. I could run a lap myself if I was in a Pentecostal church, I'd pull out a flag. (laughs) And music comes up and we're done. Thanks for doing this. This was amazing. That was Christine Kane. Make sure to check out her most recent book, Unexpected. It's available everywhere. And by the way, if you have the chance to hear Christine speak in person, do yourself a favor and get there. It'll change your life. Hey, if you like this episode of Unedited, I'd love your help spreading word about season two kicking off. Subscribing, rating, and reviewing the show on Apple Podcasts helps a ton, as well as sharing it on social media. And you won't want to miss our next episode when I'm joined by one of my good friends, author and speaker, Shauna Nequist. She's had an unexpectedly turbulent few years. And now that she's resettled with her family in New York City, we catch up on everything that's going on. And yes, the new book she's finally working on. You won't want to miss it. I'm Cameron Strang. Thank you for listening. I'll see you next time here on Unedited. Relevant Podcast Network.